I am so excited about this message. Welcome at uh, Smyrna Campus. We're so glad you guys are with us today. Those that are joining us online, listening to the podcast, we're glad that you've connected with us as well. We are in a series called By Faith. We've been looking at the life of Abraham each week and looking at different attributes of faith that lived out in his life. And I, I just couldn't wait to get to this one. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to talk about this one at the very beginning, but I was trying to follow the, the, the order that we find in, in Abraham's life in the book of Genesis. It's recorded there. And, and I, I was following the order. And every week I said, when, when are we getting to the impatient one? When are we getting to that one? I want to get to that one. And, and finally, today we're here. We get to talk about an impatient faith. Uh, and that, I think it's a subject that, that all of us can relate to pretty well. In the world that we live in today, it's amazing uh, how we have developed things to make life go faster. I mean, we live in the age of the microwave oven, email and texting, the one-hour cleaner, the 10-minute oil change, uh, the voice remote, uh, Alexa and Siri and Netflix and Amazon, but not just Amazon, Amazon Prime, and same-day loans. And it reminded me of uh, at this uh, craft uh, show, uh, they had a booth set up and they had a sign up at the booth that said, Antiques Made While You Wait. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where we are, right? We're just, we're so impatient. We don't even wait for it to become an antique. Uh, it reminded me of another sign that was in a mall one time that said, Ears Pierced While You Wait. I like to see them do it some other way. <laughs> you? you want to drop those off and pick them up later? You know, uh, you can only have ears pierced while you wait. That's the only way to do it. Some of you didn't catch that. I'm sorry. Right on. <laughs> if you have to explain the joke, it's not any good. So, one of the greatest tests of our faith is when God makes us wait. But if we're not willing to do that, is it faith? If we're not willing to wait for God, then we're not acting on faith anymore. We're trying to control it ourselves. We're acting in our own strength and our own power. But one of the hardest things for all of us, even people of great faith, even Abraham, we're going to find out today, had a hard time waiting on God. Now, I've got to cut him some slack. He had to wait a long, long time. But God was still God the whole time, and God was still at work the whole time. And we're going to see that though Abraham was certainly a man of faith, and he had great faith in a lot of ways, he certainly was not perfect in exercising his faith, which again gives me a lot more hope, and I hope, for, I hope it gives you a lot more hope, because we're not perfect in our faith either, are we? We struggle Certain times we just feel so strong in our faith, but we all experience some times where we don't feel so strong. We're like the guy in the New Testament that spoke to Jesus and he says, I believe. And then he said, help my unbelief. Right after that. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Well, I believe, but there are times when I really struggle with holding on to my faith the way I need to. Really trusting God the way I need to. Someone uh, I was... Uh, reading uh, recently uh, in a book about faith, he was talking about one of the things that seems a little paradoxical is this. I, I like to quote, he says, if we're going to walk with God, sometimes we have to slow down. Uh, we, we, we run ahead. We, we, uh, we've got this dog at our house, uh, had him for a long time now. Uh, his name's McGee. 
He's a West Highland Terrier. And uh, McGee is one of the most stubborn dogs you'll ever meet. Now, he's stubborn in some good ways. He's loyal. He always wants to be right beside us. You know, if we're both in the room, he'll get right between us. He wants to be right with us. A lot of good things about this dog. But this dog, and part of it's my lack of training uh, uh, with the dog, but this dog, even today, it's an old dog, I'll take him out on a leash to walk, and uh, I, he walks me. I don't walk him. Right? He, he wants to go ahead, so I can't use a regular collar and walk him with that. We have to use the harness because if we used a collar, he'd choke himself to death. I'm not kidding. He will literally be choking and keep pulling the whole time. Right? Any of you got a dog like that? Yeah, you'd like to have another one? <laughs> no, I love my dog. But we're like that a lot of times with God. God's saying, oh, I want you right here. Stay, stay there. Come, you know, stay two paces behind me or whatever. And we're pushing ahead, trying to make things happen the way we want them to happen at the time we want them to happen. And we've asked God to answer the prayer. We've asked God to intercede and work on something. And when he doesn't do it the way we want him to do it, we just keep choking ourselves, pushing ahead, trying to make it happen in our time, in our way. Well, in this example in the life of Abraham we're going to be looking at today, it's in Genesis 16, if you want to be turning there, we'll look at a few other verses too. Genesis 16, we pick up in his life where there is a decision that he and Sarah make that is running ahead of God. And I want us to see why in frustration they made that decision, and I want us to see how it affected them and others around them and even the long-term consequences of that decision, and how God responded to them even after they had been so impatient in their faith. I think we can learn from all of those things. The first thing I want us to see is the frustration of waiting. In chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, that's an important statement. Now, remember, Abraham was known as Abram still then. Now, we're getting close to the time where God changes his name to Abraham. But, but at this time, he's still known as Abram. His wife is still known as Sarai, even though later she's known as Sarah. And remember, God had made a promise to them that through they were going to have a child. And that through that child, uh, their, their lineage was going to multiply many times over. And they were going to be a blessing to the whole world through their descendants. And still, they hadn't had any children. It reminded me of these two ladies that were talking one day. They were just getting to know each other and at a business lunch. And well, the first lady said to the other one that started talking about their family, she says, yeah, I got a great family. I got four kids we've been raising, all boys. And the other lady said, wow, I'd love to have four children. She says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know if you didn't have children or not. She says, oh, no, I've got children. She says, well, how many do you have? She said, five. <laughs> see children are a blessing and maybe sometimes we feel like they're not but for Abraham and Sarah and that culture uh, it was a matter of status to have children especially for a man to have sons uh, they saw that as something that was uh, honorable for the family and not only because of that in their culture, but because God had promised them they would have a son years before this, and they're getting a little older now, they were beginning to worry. Remember back in chapter 12 when we started this series in verse 4, 
It says uh, God had called Abram to pick up and leave with his family. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Lot went with him. How old was Abram? It says Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He was already 75 when God said, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son through whom I'm going to give you all these blessings and bless all the world. And now seven years had gone by. When you pick up in Genesis 15, and he still didn't have a son, him and Sarah. In Genesis 15, we see that they're already struggling with the impatience of faith. Look at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, he had a servant who had a child. And in that culture, legally, if you didn't have any of your own natural-born children, you could leave your estate or your inheritance to your, your servant's children. And, and Abraham is reasoning, well, at this point, it's been seven years since you said I was going to have a child. We haven't had one yet, and, and I don't see any other option here, God, so I'm just going to turn my inheritance over to one of my servant's children. Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. Now, what's he doing? He's being impatient with God. He's thinking, God, I know you said you were going to do this. And for whatever reason, you haven't been able to come through for me. But I can take care of this myself, God. Now, see if you can see yourself in this reasoning at any time in your life. I, I, I'll intercede here. I, I've got this plan for how I can make this work out anyway through one of my servants. And, and that way, I will have someone that will be in my line and have my inheritance. I'll do it that way. But in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he said, Abram, no, I, I, I know you're getting impatient, but, but here, come outside, look up. See all those stars? Now, I can't tell you how many times I have even forgotten to pay attention to the stars at night. I mean, we live in, the, in town, we've got street lights all around, and it kind of bleeds out sometimes the ability to see the stars very well. But, but sometimes on a clear night, I will remember, oh, oh, look up for a minute, Randy. Just see God's creation here. And, and I'll see all those stars in the sky. It just reminds me of how great and vast God is and his creation is. And he said to Abram, just look up, look at all the stars, and count the stars. Have you ever tried just counting stars? Uh, you, you can't ever count them all. In fact, with, with more and more advanced telescopes and satellites out there now and all that, we, we see more and more stars than we've ever seen before, and we still don't see the end of it. We still haven't reached the end of how far out it goes and still can't count them all, even with all the advanced equipment we've got today. And God says to Abram, see, you're going to have so many descendants, it'll, uh, it'll be futile to try to count them all, just like it's futile to try to count the stars. That's what I'm going to do for you. And here's a great verse, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Did Abram have faith? 
Yes, absolutely. When God said this was going to happen again, reminded him of what he was going to do, that he was going to keep his promise, Abram believed God. But then three more years go by. And still, no child. Now, we've got young couples here sometimes that have struggled for years to have a child. They really got married. They planned to have a child. They really wanted a child. They prayed for a child. And several years have gone by, no child. And they can attest to you how frustrating that can be. How, how it can hurt you to see other people you know, having these babies. And you are trying and really want a baby and can't have one. And how it hurts you when you see people that, that, that are pregnant and don't want their baby. And here you are wanting a baby so much, and yet they don't even want theirs. And they've got one on the way. And how it hurts their heart to see that. Abraham and Sarah have been told, God's going to give you this son, and through that son you're going to have all these descendants, too many to count. And still years go by, and there is no baby. They started out believing this at 75, and now, now Abram is 85. Sarah is 75. Still no baby. And they're thinking, we're missing the opportunity again. For whatever reason, God's not coming through here. But you see, the frustration of waiting, I think, is so much harder for us because we don't have the eternal perspective that God does. Remember the scripture says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. But for us, some days seem to go on forever, don't they? And some months seem to go on forever. Some, some years seem to be the worst years of our lives, and it looks like you're never going to get past this stuff, Right? But for God, it's just a blink of an eye. It's nothing. That's why God's word says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God wants us to put our problems in perspective. He says light and momentary. He's not making light of your problem. He's saying you need to understand how temporary the problems of this world really are compared to the eternity I have prepared for you and all the blessings of the eternity that I prepared for you. Keep it in perspective. Look at things in light of eternity. What God Now, if this was all there was to your life, yes, it would be a lot more frustrating. But according to God and God's word and the evidence he gives us, this is not all there is. This is just a small part of the rest of our lives. Can't we hold on and be faithful for this part so that we can enjoy this part? That's what God's saying. Put everything in perspective compared to eternity in your life. It's like a father who was taking his four-year-old son on a fishing trip, and he was taking him to this place he used to fish at as a kid, and it was 250 miles away to go to this camp where he was taking him to fish. You know what happened? After about 50 miles, the four-year-old says to his dad, are we almost there yet? And the dad says, no, son, we still got a, a long way to go. You got to be patient. Right, they get 100 miles down the road. The kid says, dad, are we there yet? He says, son, no, we're not even halfway there yet. We still got a, a long way to go. They get past 150 miles and a little boy looks at his dad. He says, dad, will I still be four when we get there? 
You see, with God, what we see as a long time is not a long time at all. And when we say to God, I, I just can't wait any longer. I just can't take it anymore. How long, God, are you going to let me go through this? God must look at us like we look at a four-year-old and think, how immature. How immature that you think that's all that long. When I am eternal. And I have eternal life for you. Waiting for you. I've already given it to you. You need to start thinking more with an eternal mindset. Instead of that temporary short-term mindset and how you view the struggles and the problems of this world. We see it all through Scripture, examples of how God was going to do great things in people's lives, but they had to wait along the way. Remember Joseph, who was in prison for two years for a crime he did not commit, just waiting on God. He was totally innocent, and he had to sit in prison for two years waiting on God. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul and was converted to Christianity and God said, you're going to be a leader for, for me and for the church and an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, it took him 10 years before he was ever accepted as a leader in the church after his conversion. 10 years before he began to be the leader God told him he was going to be. Had to be a hard 10 years. Moses. Moses ran ahead of God. He saw a, an Egyptian uh, abusing uh, a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian, and he had to flee for his life. And for 40 years, he was taking care of sheep out in the wilderness. And God said, I want you to lead my people to a land of promise that I'm going to give them. And, and Moses got them freed as God worked through him. They were freed from Egypt and bondage and slavery there. But you know what? It took 40 years to get to the promised land after they left Egypt. 40 years of waiting and struggling. And then Moses didn't even get to go in and enjoy the land. Noah do you realize when God said, Noah, I want you to build the ark, the flood's coming, it was 120 years before it rained and the floods came? 120 years of faithfully building an ark with everybody ridiculing him, with everyone thinking he's gone mad, he's crazy. He had to put up with that for 120 years. Until the rains came and it started to flood and everybody thought maybe oh Noah knew a little something after all. But it was too late for them then. You see God often has in his plan a time of waiting for us. A time of wanting to see if we will hold on to our faith when things aren't happening the way we want them to happen. And the timing that we want them to happen. Because, friends, that's the real test of whether we have faith or not. Is will we hold on to it when it's not easy anymore? When it gets tough? When it's challenging? Is there still faith there? Noah waited 120 years. But, you know, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, remember the faith chapter there? It begins with a definition of faith. It's the evidence of things not seen, right? So, so here we have... This whole chapter on faith, and he lists person, Abraham's in that chapter as a person of faith, right? All these people are listed. And then in verse 39, after he says, and there's others too many to name, he says this, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, but listen, yet none of them received what had been promised. 
Can you imagine that? They lived their whole lives in faith that God was going to keep his promise. What promise is he talking about there? The Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. They lived their whole lives with the faith that God was going to keep his promise to send this deliverer, this Messiah, this promised one, and they died without that promise being fulfilled. But he tells us why in verse 40. Since God had planned, in other words, their waiting was in whose plan? God's plan. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know what he's saying? God planned that they would enjoy the fulfillment of the promise, Jesus, along with us, who got to have it in our lifetime. We would all be able to enjoy it together with them when Jesus comes back. What an amazing understanding of the eternal plan of God. Sometimes waiting on God, you don't even see it happen in your own lifetime. Does that mean God's not keeping his promise? Absolutely not. God still fulfilled this promise. The Bible says when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. You know what that phrase, when the time had fully come, means? It means when God had everything lined up just right for it to happen, that's when it happened, that God sent his son. You see, God's at work. He's got a plan. May not be our plan, and I'm so thankful it's not always our plan. Boy, remember the saying here at Lakeshore, Pastor Andy's got, I, I use it a lot. Give it enough time and opportunity, what can we do? There you go. Mess it up. Got a good class here. I love it. <laughs> Given enough time and opportunity, we human beings can mess up anything. I'm so glad he doesn't always do it according to our plan, aren't you? We mess things up all the time. I'm glad he's got a better plan than our plan. Now, sometimes we convince ourselves we know better, we know what ought to happen, but we've got to learn something about God that's really important. I, I say this a lot, but I want to remind you one more time. Here's the thing I've learned about God. You need to under, the sooner you understand this, the better. Believe me, the sooner you learn this, the better. He's smarter than you are. He's smarter than I am. His wisdom is so much greater than mine. His knowledge is under. See, because God sees not only the past, and he's not only aware of the present, God sees all eternity all at once. He knows what's best. So when he makes his plan, he's got better information to work with than we do. And so he knows what's really best for all of us. And we've got to learn to trust him in that. That's where faith comes in. You have faith, not because you've got it all figured out, but because you don't, but you trust the one who does. That's what faith is. You trust him. And the plan that he's got. So we see the frustration of faith. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. But then it led them. The second thing I want us to see here is the frantic response they had to the frustration they were feeling. The frantic response. Look at chapter 16 again in verse 2. Remember, they had had no children. So Sarah says to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, you have to understand in that culture, that was not totally uncommon. When a, a family was childless, 
Uh, in fact, the cultures around them practiced uh, uh, polygamy. They had many wives, a lot of them. And, and so that was not uncommon in that culture at all. It was never God's plan. It was never what God taught them to do. But that's what a lot of the people did uh, outside of God's will, outside of God's plan. So this would not have been a foreign thing for her to say something like this. This was not very uncommon at all in the culture around them. Now, they were supposed to be set apart from their culture. Here's what I want you to understand. God had called them to be distinct and set apart. But this tells you that they were watching and aware of and knew the culture around them. They were perfectly okay with this kind of thing. And so they had grown more accustomed to thinking it might not be that bad. You ever seen that happen to the church? Maybe right here in America. Maybe right now in our lifetime. Where God's word says one thing, but the culture around us is doing it totally different. So what do we do in the church sometimes? We start adopting the practices of the culture around us. Start thinking it's not such a big deal because everybody else is doing it this way, right? Everybody else is living together before they get married. Everybody else is saying there's more than two genders when you're born. You can be whatever gender you decide to be, right? Everybody else is doing it. Why can't we do it, too? Even though God's word says different. And so Abraham and Sarah were not immune from that. They had been influenced by that, too. And even though they did have faith, their faith was floundering, and they were frustrated because it had been so many years, and they hadn't had any children yet. And Sarah comes up with this plan. And you have to understand the plan was a little bit to fulfill what God said was going to happen, but it was also something else at work, I think. It was to save face, too. Remember, in that culture, it was honorable only, uh, in their eyes, it was honorable if the man was able to have sons, and she had not been able to do that for Abraham. So she said, well, maybe to save face, there's a way Abraham could still have a son here. God said he was supposed to have a son, and it hasn't happened, but here's a way we can make that happen says in the next verse, she says, I can build a family through her. She's thinking, well, that's a way we can get this solved. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now, I'm not going to ask any guys to raise their hand. But I would imagine a lot of guys would have thought, that's not such a bad idea. She's going to give me another woman to sleep with and have a child with. Most likely, because she's her maidservant, she's much younger than her. She said, I'm going to give you this younger woman to, to be with and have like a wife. And she uses the term wife later in, this, in these verses. Get, like she is going to be taken in like another wife, like the other cultures had many wives. She says, I, I think we ought to do that too to get this thing worked out. We've got a culture today, even in America, where they're beginning to have more than one wife, right? They're not legally able to do it in our country, but they're still practicing it that way. We've got a group doing that right now, saying that's the better way to do it, even though God doesn't teach that at all in his word. It says, Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took uh, uh, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I mean, that, that, it's not that big a deal, right? It makes sense. 
I mean, the Bible says, after all, right, God helps those who help themselves. Really? Can you show me the verse? It's not anywhere in Scripture, friends. God doesn't say, God, he helps those who help themselves. It's nowhere in the Bible. We've said it so much, it sounds like it's in the Bible, doesn't it? But it's not. See, that's what can happen to our thinking. We hear it so much, we see it so much, we have it around us so much that we begin to think that must be okay. That must be even good, right? I don't know why we didn't uh, accept that all along. We've progressed now. We're, we're a much more tolerant culture and society than we've ever been. Like that's an advancement for us now to accept those things that God says are outside of his plan and his purpose for our lives. And that's what Abraham and Sarah are doing. We get frustrated while we wait for God to do what we expect him to do the way we expect him to do it when we think he ought to do it. And when we get frustrated, what begins to happen is we make very poor decisions when we make them while we're frustrated. Don't you find that true in your life? That under the pressure of frustration when things aren't going well, when you start making decisions with that bearing down on you, don't you find you make many more poor decisions when you're frustrated when you're making the decisions? I know I do. When I make it out of frustration, hardly ever is it something that really lines up well with God. If I'm just doing it because I'm so frustrated, I don't see any other way. I just got to take care of it somehow, right? That's when we start running ahead of God, when we're feeling so frustrated. I'm convinced in the New Testament that's what happened to Judas Iscariot more than anything else. See, Judas Iscariot was one of his apostles, Jesus' apostles. In fact, the Bible reveals to us he was the treasurer for the group. But it also tells us even though he was the keeper of the money for the apostles, that he was regularly taking some for himself. Right? I mean, Jesus obviously wasn't managing it well, taking care of them very well, so he made sure he was taken care of. He, he took matters into his own hands. And I believe that Judas was one of those that wanted to lead a rebellion against Rome, and he thought maybe Jesus was going to be the one who would do that for them. And when Jesus kept refusing to do that and allowing himself to be at odds with Rome and the power of Rome without overthrowing them, he got very frustrated and impatient with Jesus. So he thought, I will, I will force Jesus' hand. So he made a deal with Jesus' enemy to turn him over, betray him to the enemy. Remember for 30 pieces of silver? In his frustration with Jesus, he made a deal. But you know what happened? Almost immediately when he saw the result of that deal, he was sorry that he had made that decision. It says in verse 5 of Matthew 27, Judas went back to the temple, and when they wouldn't take the money back, it says Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and did what? He hanged himself. You see, when you make decisions controlled by frustration, you make really bad decisions. And sometimes we're being led in our decision-making by frustration instead of by faith. You see, if you make a decision by faith, it's not controlled by your frustration. It's controlled by what you believe about God. And if what you believe about God is, is that you can trust God, even when it's not happening the way you want it to, then frustration doesn't control the decision. Your faith in God controls the decision. 
But when frustration is controlling your decisions, you make really bad decisions. Genesis 16, 16, it gives us another little insight here. It says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. See, he's now, even a year later, after they decide to take matters into their own hands, now he's 86 when Ishmael is finally born. You see how many years of frustration he's had from age 75 to age 86? Nothing has happened that God said was going to happen. So they took matters into their own hands. In their frustration, they came up with their own plan. And they did have a son. Well, let's look at the third thing today, which is the fruit of their disobedience. Right away, things began to be a problem. Look at verse 4, the second part of verse 4. Talking about Hagar when she found out she was pregnant. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Now, guys, I know. I know it was her idea. Just like you do, right? She's the one that came up with the idea. But now she's thinking, that wasn't such a good idea. Now it's coming back on me. Now it's causing me problems. Now she's flaunting it in my face that she was able to get pregnant and I wasn't. So she says, Abram, it's all your fault. Now, I know none of you have had a woman do that to you, but in theory, in theory, that can happen, guys. I just want you to be aware going forward here that sometimes the woman can come up with an idea that she thinks is really good. And if you go along with it and it doesn't work well, all of a sudden you have to take responsibility for the idea and the results of the idea. But the truth is, he very much was a part of this, wasn't he? He didn't have to go along with this. He didn't have to cooperate with her idea, but he chose to do that. So he did bear at least some of the responsibility here for the wrong that she's now suffering. She says, I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, Abram, you take care of this, man. You need to take care of this. Abram, being the leader that he was, said this in verse 6. Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. All of a sudden, Abram kicked into what a lot of guys kick into when there's conflict. He became passive. Instead of, you know, he, he said, yeah, sounds like a good idea on the front end. I'll participate. And he willingly participated. Now, all of a sudden, side of my hand, Sarah, you do whatever you need to do. Right? Now that it's a real problem their family see passivity is one of the worst things that men struggle with and not being the leaders for their homes that God wants them to be uh, it began in the garden of Eden when Eve decided to eat that fruit who was right there with her Adam was did Adam do anything to stop this no he was passive he sat back and just let her do it and then joined in after she did it Passivity has caused a lot of problems in our culture. And, and what makes it worse is today our culture is stripping men of their masculinity even more now than they ever have. But that's not God's design for man. Never has been. Now, I'm not talking about men ought to be abusive in any way. No, not at all. That's not God's plan either. But they are supposed to be leaders. Men of faith who set examples and lead their families that's God's plan 
to be the male that God created you to be, because God only created male and female, by the way. There were no other genders that he created, just male and female. And men are designed to be men, and women are designed to be women. That's the way God designed it to work. And here, Abram is becoming passive and saying, oh, you do whatever you want with her. It doesn't matter to me. Then it says, Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. He said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Does that sound familiar? Right? That was God's promise to Abraham and Sarah, right, to start with. Now, Hagar has a promise that her descendants are going to be too numerous to count. So things are getting complicated now. All right? The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Wow. So was the Lord aware even of the complication this brought to Hagar's life? Yeah, this disobedience that Abraham and Sarah had done has now caused complications to Hagar. But was God still aware of and, and wanting to help Hagar, even though they had done the wrong thing? Yes. But, he added, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. <laughs> I want you to see how the consequences are, made, are mounting up now for Abraham and Sarah's decision not to wait on God. It started with animosity, right? Sarah started having animosity toward Hagar. Hagar started having animosity toward Sarah. That led to Sarah mistreating Hagar. That led to a child being born that would be living in hostility. That led to Abraham's passivity. It led eventually to centuries of hostility even today between the Jews and the Arabs because this is where it all started, right here. You see how running ahead of God can really mess things up big time? Even today, if you visit the Holy Land, you go to Jerusalem and you see the division between the Palestinians and the Jews and the wall that's been built and the, the, the animosity and the attacks and, and all that's happening there. And it's not just in that region, but you see it especially there in that region, a, a clear line of delineation between the Palestinians and the Jews. And it's, it's not just in that country, though. It's in the whole Middle East, and it's even now been brought to our country as well. And it all started with Sarah and Abraham saying, oh, you know what? We need to help God out here. God's not coming through on his promise. And so now the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Jacob have still been at odds with each other ever since. You see, in our lives today, this would serve as a good example, friends, listen to me, of the consequences of not waiting on God. We all are dealing with the consequences in our lives of not waiting on God. How many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand, are living under the pressure of enormous debt right now in your life? We want to excuse it. We've got a lot of reasons, right? We want to excuse the fact that we're in debt like we are. But who chose to get in the debt? We did. We didn't wait. We didn't do without. We didn't put off what we wanted to get. 
And we put ourselves in really bad financial situations because of that. See, God says not to do it that way, not to be a slave to our debt, not let yourself get to that place. But we run ahead of God. We think we've got to have that. We deserve to have a better car, a better house, to live in a better neighborhood. We deserve to have this and that. We deserve to have, you know, we got this job. We got to dress right for it. We, we give ourselves all these reasons. God's not coming through for us, so let's go do it ourselves. The world's given us a way to do this, so let's do it. And we put a burden on ourselves and our families. It's not just that. We've been praying, maybe we're a Christian man or a woman and we want to have a, a godly spouse and don't see any prospects for that. God hasn't provided that for us, so what do we do? We allow ourselves to get involved in a relationship with someone who's not godly. And then we start suffering negative consequences because we're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't honor God the way we want to honor God. And we get mad because that relationship's not working the way we want it to work. We run ahead of God. We don't wait on God. And it creates all kinds of complications. We don't want to wait to have sex, so we go ahead and start being sexually active before we get married. And then we have STDs being spread at a higher rate than they've ever been, that we've measured them by the CDC. And our culture right now, they're being spread at a higher rate than ever before. And, and, and it's causing all kinds of sickness and disease and problems and inability to have children when you do want to have children. It's causing all kinds of unwanted pregnancies, which lead to people deciding to have abortions. And all of those consequences are there because we run ahead of God. We don't want to do it God's way. The world's doing it a different way. Everybody's doing it a different way. Why don't we do it a different way? Right? We're not going to be distinctly different and set apart from God. We want to be physically fit, but we don't want to have to discipline ourselves. So we take this and we take that and we, we, we get on this program and this plan and we're taking all this stuff to try to make us healthy. And, and we think we are because we lose weight and we start feeling better. And then we have the long-term consequences of, of liver or kidney disease or shutting down or whatever happens. And, and we take steroids so we can have bigger muscles and look, look more like the guy in the magazine. And then the long-term use of steroids destroys our health. We're doing all these things where we run ahead of doing it the way God God designed it to be done. We bring all these consequences on ourselves. Terrible consequences. If they were more immediate, we'd probably stop, but they're not immediate usually. They're gradual. Happens over time. We don't want to wait to have the money that, that, and to work and earn the money that we want to have. We want more money now. So we get into schemes that are dishonest and, and, and we rob and we steal and we lie and we cheat so we can get more money and get on top and look like we're successful. And then we get caught and we have to pay the consequences for it. We get mad at God for letting that happen. We bring the consequences on ourselves. But the worst consequence of running ahead of God is this. We, we miss out on the blessings that God wanted us to have. That's the worst consequence of all. God wanted us to have a better life. And he had a plan for it. But we wouldn't wait on God. We wouldn't do it God's way. And so we miss the blessings that God wants us to have. But I want to close with this last thing we see in this story. That is the forgiveness of the Father even when we fail. It's amazing. Look at chapter 16 again in verse 13. Hagar is having this encounter with the angel. And it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her through the angel there. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one 
who sees me. Hagar's been now rejected by Abraham and Sarah and feels like she's not really welcome there. She feels like probably there's nobody who cares about her. But what does God show her? He still cares about her. Even though she's participated in something totally outside of the will of God, God still cares about her and what happens to her. That's the amazing thing about the love of the God that we serve, the God of the Bible. His compassion knows no boundaries. Even to those who blatantly have rebelled against him and disobeyed him in every way. God is still compassionate. If you jump ahead to Genesis 17, the first couple of verses, it says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. This is still years later now. He's 99 and God still says to Abraham, if you will come back and walk faithfully with me the way I wanted you to all along, I will still keep my promise of a covenant with you. To multiply your descendants and bless the world through you. That's how great the grace and the forgiveness of God is. That even after that rebellion and disobedience, God would still do great things through Abraham. Here's the amazing thing about God. He does great things through very flawed, imperfect people. You know why? That's the only kind he's got to work with. And we've got a room full of them right here, right now including me. We're all very flawed, imperfect people. And God's grace and compassion and forgiveness is big enough for every one of us to be welcomed back, forgiven, and used for great things for him and his kingdom. There's a psalm back in Psalm 130. I love this, this promise from God in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. It says this. Listen to this. It's so amazing. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins... Lord, who could stand? What's the answer? Nobody. But here's what he goes on to say. But with you there is, what's that word? Forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Have any of us done something so bad that we can't come back to God again? Anybody in the room? Nobody has done anything so bad that you couldn't come back to God and serve him again. We could all be welcomed back again. That's why Peter said in Acts chapter 2, when the people asked after they heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you come back to him repenting and are baptized into Christ, you can be washed clean and made new, and you can serve God again, even if you failed miserably in the past. Even though all of us have run ahead of God into our sin, his forgiveness is available to every one of us through Christ right here, right now, today. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that you, you offer us today the same grace and mercy that you gave to Abraham and Sarah. They stepped totally outside of your will, totally rebellious and disobedient, and yet, and yet you said to Abraham, you come back and serve me and I will still keep my promises to you. And God, we know you will do that for anyone here today who decides to come and give themselves over to you in service. 
to honor you with their lives. And Father, your forgiveness is there waiting for them when they come. I pray that you would help us to always be instruments of your grace and your mercy and be people who offer your forgiveness to the world that you sent Jesus here to give. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.